Boys and girls ages four years old through the fourth grade dismissed for Children's Church. While they go, Mr. Tillman over here, please, and Stephen, if you will, over here. Thermostats, I didn't check them this morning. Are you warm? I'm warm. Okay, you're just comfortable. It's warm, okay? Gentlemen, heat, automatic, 68. Can you do that, please? Heat, automatic, 68. We will be fine in five minutes. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians, please, chapter 1 this morning. Last Sunday, I began a series of messages preaching through the book of Ephesians. And we're not going to go back and review. We just really want to pretty, just pretty much take up this morning where we left off last time. Without going back into verses 1 and 2, beginning at verse 3 this morning. We did say that verses 3 through 14 are all one sentence in the Bible. And uh, they are the longest, that is the longest sentence in the Bible and some say it might even be the longest sentence in existence, okay? Verses 3 through 14. We read all the verses last week, those verses, and I made just a couple of comments because it wasn't the message. We just, as we introduced those verses, sounds like they're having fun already, doesn't it? They're still in the hallway, whatever that means, okay? You can tell Luke and Amanda in charge, okay? They, they, they have fun. They have a great time, okay? Uh, where were we? There are two uh, really important things as a summary thing from verses 3 through 14. First of all, we find, the we find the phrase in Christ or in him several times. That's the main thing in Ephesians, the main theme in Ephesians, and that's the main theme in this chapter 1, and that's the main theme in verses 3 through 14. It's all about being in Christ, being in him. And then also we find the phrase three times, to the praise of his glory. That's what this book is all about, especially the first three chapters. That's what this, this, this uh, uh, chapter 1 is all about. And that's what verses 3 through 14 are especially about, that all the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, they are all to the praise of God's glory. So let's jump into the verse this morning, please. Look at verses 3 and 4. We're going to look at 3 and 4 this morning, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, with, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If we could kind of divide those verses into two parts, well, we really, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. We're going to look at verse 3 first. That's kind of a, an introductory verse to this whole passage here. So we're going to look first of all at verse 3. What does it mean? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice please, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ Jesus. That's kind of the first half of the message. And the last half will be verse 4, one of the things that God has blessed us with. So verse 3 please, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed is the Greek word eulageo. Eulageo, from which we get our English word Eulogy or eulogize. If you've ever been to a funeral, not always, but sometimes there are some eulogies. Well, what does the word eulogy mean? Or what is it, what does this Greek word eulogeo mean? It means to speak well of, to celebrate with praises. You say, my favorite times at funerals are the eulogies. I like them too if they're short. <laughs> What's hard for the 
pastors, when he's supposed to preach, the family wants him to preach, and he knows he doesn't have time to preach because the eulogies are longer and longer and longer. You know what I'm talking about. I know that you do, okay? But I thank the Lord for eulogies at funerals, as people say, sometimes friends, sometimes family. They say, look, I want, I want us to remember my loved one. And they speak well of her. They speak well of him. They praise him. They praise her. It's a wonderful thing to do. And God says here, blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to speak well of our God. We ought to praise our God. We ought to celebrate him with praises. What did David say in Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. There's that idea, that thought again, that, that subject matter. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and with all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Bless his holy name. It is fitting. It's right. It's good for us to praise the Lord for, by the way, any one of the blessings that follow, because he's going to list a whole bunch of them. It's, it's only fitting and right to praise the Lord for each and every one. Then you put them all together. I mean, surely we can say with David, bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me just bless his holy name. And so this wonderful passage begins, eulogy to God. We ought to give a eulogy to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Could we kind of take that apart a little bit? Hath blessed us. He hath blessed us. God hath blessed us. That's past tense. All these blessings as believers, we already have. <laughs> They're already ours. God's already given them to us. What does that mean? We don't have to pray for them. None of the blessings listed, none of the privileges listed in verses 3 to 14 are, are prayer requests. We do not have to pray for them. They're already ours. God hath already blessed us with them. It's past tense. And then notice, please, he hath blessed us. By the way, that's the same. This shouldn't be too hard to figure out. This is the same Greek word. It's the same English word that we just read when we are supposed to praise God. Blessed be God. Eulogeo. Celebrate God with praises. It's that same word. Who hath, God hath, blessed us. But really, it's a little different meaning here. The meaning here is really to prosper us for our good. To prosper for our good. Or here's, an, here's a good synonym, to benefit us. And so we speak well as we praise our God. We praise our God by speaking who the one who has so greatly benefited us. He's prospered us. Do you see that? Blessed be, let us offer our praises to God. Let us give our eulogy to God, the one who has so wonderfully benefited us or praise, he's, he's prospered us. God doesn't speak us good. God does us good. Amen? He doesn't speak us good. The focus is on he does us good. Our blessing is in word. Our praising is in word. God's blessing is not in word here. God's blessing is in deed. Somebody has well said in thought and word we bless God because in deed and effect he has blessed us. Isn't that good? I don't know who, I didn't say, I don't know where, where I got that, but I put it in quotes. Somebody has well said, in thought and word, we bless God. Why? Because in deed and in effect, he has blessed us. So the obvious question is, do we bless God regularly? Do we praise God regularly? When we bow to pray, whether it's just for a few seconds or a few minutes or for a long time, is most of it our prayer, is it prayer requests? Prayer requests? 
Or is it like equal time, equal praising? Or is it more praising than asking? That, those are fair questions when we think of all that God has done for us. And so the question is then with what has God blessed us or what has he prospered us with? And that takes us to the rest of the verse. So we have here, he hath blessed us. He's provided for us. He's prospered us. He's benefited us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And really that is a summary of all the blessings that he's going to list in the, in the next few verses. Notice it's all spiritual blessings. Okay, because when we do praise God for how he has prospered us, what comes to our mind? Our house? Our clothes? Our car? Our friends? Our bank account? Our good health? Whatever. What comes to our mind as we do praise the Lord? Hey, what about all the spiritual blessings? See, you see what I'm talking about? You see what I'm not talking about? I didn't write this. You see what Paul says here? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all, not physical, not material, all spiritual blessings. It may refer to the fact that all these blessings are produced by and given to us by the Holy Spirit. But they are spiritual blessings. God has given to us all spiritual enrichment for everything we need for our spiritual lives. Everything. He's provided it for us. This is, it's all spiritual. It's not physical here, material. These are spiritual blessings. So do we praise the Lord for our spiritual blessings which are far, would you agree, they're far more important than any physical blessing we have. You stop and think about all that God has given to us physically, all that given, God has given to us materially. I mean, you think about that. That is nothing in comparison with what God has given to us spiritually. And we ought to bless God, praise God for them. By the way, notice it says here, spiritual blessing. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Places in your Bible, it should be, it's in italics. What does that mean? It was added to help us understand the meaning of it. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in what heavenly places in Christ Jesus but places, it's really in the heavenlies. Maybe you have a note of that in your Bible that it's really literally in the heavenlies. These are spiritual blessings. Basically, if the idea here is in heaven. They exist in heaven. The heavenly regions, that is the abode of God. Now, these spiritual blessings, we should praise God for. They're found in heaven. They're given to us from heaven. And they're given to us so that we can go to heaven. They're spiritual Heavenly blessings from heaven given to us while we're on the earth so that we can go to heaven and that while we are on the earth, we can live as heavenly-minded people. Amen? And that's really what this is all about. Somebody has said this. We saints, while still in the body on the earth, are enjoying blessings which we will enjoy for all eternity in heaven. That is really good. We Christian saints... While we are still in this body on the earth, we are enjoying blessings, spiritual heavenly blessings, which we will be able to enjoy for all eternity in heaven. And all of God's people said, amen. And by the way, that's not the end of the verse. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Next two words, please, out loud. In Christ. Not by Christ, in Christ. 
not through Christ, in Christ. Okay? It's in Christ. Our spiritual blessings come to us because, and they're all, it's all a part of this, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's the key. I quote this verse often, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The one who loved me, the one who gave himself for me, is also the one as a believer now who lives in me. And these are blessings, spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have a, really a summary of verse uh, 3. Our most important blessings are spiritual blessings that come from heaven. Because we will spend eternity in heaven. While we are on this earth, we look forward to that time. We therefore should not get too excited about all of our earthly possessions, whatever they might be. Why? Because they are only temporal, but our spiritual blessings are eternal. Don't you love, what is it, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. See the difference between the material and the spiritual there? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They're spiritual. There are heavenly blessings. Oh, quickly, please, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3. How about chapter 6? Go to 1 Timothy 6. Verse 6. But godliness, that's spiritual, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. That's not spiritual, that's material, right? Godliness, spiritual godliness, with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing material into this world. And it is certain we can, what folks? We can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith, next word, are we? Are we content with food and raiment, life's necessities? Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich, or literally they that will to be rich, they make up their mind they are going to be rich. They fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? For the love, not money. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O, oh, in contrast, but thou, O oh, man of God, but thou, O oh, woman of God, every believer, please, thou, O oh, man of God, flee these things, run away from these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Isn't this wonderful, folks? Because we need to keep our focus off the material, off the physical, and our focus on the spiritual, on the heavenly. Go back with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. What did, as we go, as you're looking, please, as you're getting back there, what did Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. I beseech you as pilgrims and strangers on the earth. I beseech you as pilgrims and strangers on the earth, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Stay away from fleshly lusts which only war against the soul. Who should do that? Pilgrims and strangers on the earth. 
So go back to Ephesians, please. And once again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, what are some of these spiritual blessings that God has given to us? Now, my first thought was, you know what you need to do, Pastor? You need to preach all of them on one Sunday. Just get them all out there. And everybody will be really excited because the pastor actually covered 12 verses in one Sunday morning. Revival in the church. Others would say, no, not a chance. I got something out of that, but it wasn't anything I hadn't already thought about. It's just too much. So I said, okay, cut it down. Maybe like three Sundays. Maybe like, maybe like uh, three words a Sunday. And I, and I listed all these words. And, I, and that, that's what I plan to do. I said, okay, three words a Sunday. This morning, one, two, and three. Man, I'm just studying away. I'm having a great time until I got halfway through the first word. And I thought, that is so important. That is such a neglected truth today. I have to stop there for a little while. I can't just go flying by that or not even say anything about it. Because I came to the conclusion as I studied these words, words like election, words like adoption, words like redemption, words like predestination, words like revelation. I mean, those are key words and others in verses 3 through 14. And every one of those words puts a focus on a certain aspect of that spiritual blessing. So we're going to start with the first one. And the rest of the message, please, would you look at verse 4. According, what's the first spiritual blessing in heavenly places? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The first spiritual blessing, godless, I didn't list it first. The first one godless is election. And you say, Pastor, could I escape before you start? Because people are so afraid of this word election. Some people... They would be glad if every message was on election. Other people would be glad if they never heard a message on election. Some people, it's a big deal with them, and others, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. And then you have this election or the free will of man, and then it really gets complicated. Or election and the sovereignty of God. And now you have people on one side or the other side. I feel sorry for people who are so strong on election that they don't even see the free will of man in the Bible. I feel sorry for them. I feel equally sorry for people who only see the free will of man in Scripture, but they never see divine election. I feel badly for them because they're both wrong. You have to see them both. You have to believe in them both, although as I've said before, and I will continue to say till the day I die, we will never be able to figure out how they all fit together. I read more on this than you can fathom. In fact, I had a whole list of quotes, and I thought, well, I'd like to read all these so at least people know I'm not alone in this thing. The fact that we cannot understand how they both work together, but they do. They absolutely do. And in one day, one day in heaven, it's going to be a fun discussion. And I know who's going to lead the discussion. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we will all be sitting there going like this. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I see that back on planet Earth? Why did I have all those hours of arguments and discussions and we still couldn't figure it out? 
So let's jump into it. Don't be afraid. It'll be okay, all right? So I cut it back. We're going to look at some key words. And by the way, I've chosen to resist the urge to, to, to try to present both sides. Now, tonight in the evening service, lest you think that I do not believe in the free will of man, but I am so strong in election, please, I beg you, come back to church tonight. We have a missionary tonight, and the message tonight will be missions, witnessing, and the second coming of Christ, because that's our new theme on Sunday nights, and how does this all tie in with election and the free will of man. I think it'll be an interesting message. I hope you'll be here for it, okay? So I'm going to sound a little strong this morning on election because this is what we're looking at. I will sound equally strong tonight on the free will of man. Now, some of you won't even come tonight, okay? You understand what I'm saying? It's a controversial discussion. I understand that. So what's the meaning of chosen? According as he hath chosen us in him. What's the meaning? We're going to ask and answer some questions. All right? What is the meaning of chosen? Chosen means to select. God has selected some. To select out of a number. To call out of, or literally, of course, then to make a choice. To make a choice, to call out of, or to select out of a number. Now, we do that all the time, folks, and the Bible says God does that. God has chosen us. Uh, we choose, and, and when you choose, when you make your choice, you, you, re, you refuse or you reject others. That's just the way it is. That's what the word means. You choose to go to college. And whatever you choose to go to, you obviously don't choose the other ones. You can't go to 10 colleges at the same time. Now, online now, you could probably go to who knows how many, okay? But in place, you, you can't go. You can't go to Pensacola Christian College in Pensacola, Florida, while you also go to Maranatha Baptist University in Watertown, Wisconsin. At the same time, you're going to Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, don't forget, some of you are in a, you're an ambassador too. You know, you got a lot of traveling to do. You, you got to pick one and you leave out the others. You know this, some of you do. I don't know how many more. I dated 113 girls in four years at Bob Jones University. That's a lot of girls to date. That's the, just, that's just the ones I can remember. But you know what? I chose one. And when I chose one, that meant there's a whole lot of sad No, no, okay. <laughs> I know you think there's a whole lot of sad girls at Bob Jones. No, no, no. There's probably a whole lot of happy girls saying, well, I'm sure glad I didn't marry that guy. But when I chose her, that means I rejected all the rest of them. I didn't choose all. I chose one. I have a black Impala sitting out there in the parking lot someplace. When I chose that car, I left a whole bunch of other cars at Bob Howard Chevrolet in Edmond. There's a lot of cars up there. Would you agree? And there's a lot of other cars. I didn't. I mean, you just leave out some other cars. Boy, I shouldn't say this now. When you go to Brahms and you finish your little meal and you go get some ice cream, and you walk down there, I don't just say, I look at all of them. And I usually pick the same one. What is it called? Pecans, praline, and cream. Man, it sounds good, doesn't it? Or I get that black cherry. What is it, Bordeaux or something like black cherry? Now, let's say I get one scoop. The last time I went, I got a scoop of, I shouldn't, Bonnie, I didn't tell you this. The last time I went, I got a scoop of black cherry. And then on top of that, I had a scoop of pecans, praline, cream. That's one of the... Rare times I went without you, okay? Took a high school guy that time instead, okay? I chose to go with him instead of you, but it wasn't because of this, okay? But listen, when I take my pecans, praline, and cream, you know what that means? I reject all the other ones. I left all the other ones there. 
Now, folks, I didn't write the Bible. The Bible says, according as God hath chosen us. He selected us out of a number. And in selecting us out of a number, he didn't select others. So who did the choosing? God did it. He did it all by himself. He did it by himself. He did it for himself. And he did it for the praise of the glory of his, what's the next word? Grace. Do I want to do this? Fast, if you're fast. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Don't have time to explain it in detail. I think you can figure it out when you read it. Romans chapter 11. Would you notice verses 5 and 6? Even so then, Romans 11, 5 and 6. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the, what's the next phrase? Three words, please, out loud. The election of grace. Even so then, at this present time, there is also an, a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it be by grace, then it is no more of, out loud, please, works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now listen, folks. God did not choose me because of my works. God chose me because of his grace. Plain and simple. Would you go back to chapter 9? Chapter 9, please. Verses 10 through 13. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, parentheses, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. Why? God chose them before they were born. They hadn't done yet done any good or evil. That the purpose of God, according to, what's the next word? Election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Doesn't mean that God hated Israel, but in comparison and in choice, God chose Jacob over Israel, over, over Esau. I mean, this is Bible, folks, and you need to think of this when you go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. According as God hath chosen us in him, God selected us. He took us out of a number, and it was all because of his grace. Number three, whom did God choose? He chose us, those who are believers in Christ. God hath chosen us, notice please, in him. He chose us in him. And as I said before, he selected us, not others. Would you go back, please, because here's a perfect Bible illustration of this truth that nobody can argue with. You, we cannot argue with this, okay? Would you go back, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and let's see an illustration of what does it mean that God does do some choosing. God does do some selecting. And, as, and when he selects some, he leaves others out. That's just the way it is, to select out of a number. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Would you notice, please, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. For thou art in holy people. Who's this holy people? Out loud, do you know? Who is it? Ah, say it again. This is Israel. Question. Did Israel choose God or did God choose Israel? Out loud, please. God chose Israel. We can't deny that. There's Abraham living near the Chaldees. And Abraham one day says, you know what? I think I got the wrong gods. I want to choose God. 
and I want to be the founder of a, a great, no, 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 it didn't work that way. God chose Abraham, and in choosing Abraham and his call in Scripture, God chose Israel. Let's look at it. For thou art in holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou art what kind of people, folks, out loud? A holy people. That becomes a key word. For thou art in holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath, next word, chosen thee. He selected you. He picked you out. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Were there other people besides Israelites in the Old Testament? Absolutely. God didn't choose them. God chose Israel. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. Well, why did he choose you? Because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn with your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of, the, of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Notice, please, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and, and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. But folks, I'm going to tell you something now. Wait a minute. Just, and here's where I decided, no, don't, don't, be trying to, don't be trying to preach election, predestination, and adoption in the same message. Because when I study this out, I can't just stop there. I'm sorry, it's me. I got to go back and read a few verses before and a few verses after. That's why, how I want to study the Bible. So I said, okay, I can't read the whole Old Testament. I can't read the whole book of Deuteronomy. I can't read the whole chapter, but I could at least read verses 1 through 6 or 1 through 5. And look what I read. Would you follow along, please? Why in the world did God, how did he get into this, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you to be a special holy people. Look at this. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, you know, I mean, seven other greater and mightier nations than thou. Did you get that? Seven greater and mightier nations than thou. And God says, they're going to be gone because I've chosen you. Now watch this, verse 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not be given, thy daughter shalt thou not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy them and, and will destroy thee suddenly. And thus shall ye deal with them. You shall destroy their altars. You shall break down their images. You shall cut down their groves. And you shall burn their graven images with fire. Why in the world? Why? Because thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Could I stop there? If there is one word that summarizes verses 1 through 5, it has to be the word separation. And when we think of election, we should not just think about the word separation. Here's all these people, and God separates all these people, and he selects out of all these people a certain person, and he happens to be, why in the world did God ever choose Larry Jack 
Carsis to be saved. Whew. I went to a Christian school through the ninth grade. My family didn't have any money. We changed churches from a Reformed church to a Baptist church. That meant I couldn't go to the Reformed church, the Reformed school anymore, because they were providing most of the money. Maybe all of it, I don't know. So I went to a public high school grades, 10, 11, and 12. Well over 1,000 students. I don't know how many. That was a nasty place. A lot of ungodly, wicked people. And there in the middle of that mess was Larry Jack Carsey's, a Christian, because God chose me. Why didn't you choose somebody else? When I start thinking about that, I don't just put the focus on the fact that God separated me from others and chose me, which I'm thankful he did. But now God says, I did this for a reason. So you don't live like they live. So you don't follow their gods. So you don't worship their false, bow down to their false idols. So you don't mix and mingle in all of your tight relationships with these people. You love them, you pray for them, you have friendship with them, you witness to them, but you draw some lines. Do I have to go any further with that? It's separation based on separation. And that's part of Ephesians chapter 1 from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Go back to Ephesians 1. When did God do this? Do what? When did God do this, make this selection? Say, well, he made this selection in like 1974 or 1955 when Larry did this. No, no, that's not when God made his selection. According as he had chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That is an astounding thought. Before God, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, ever created anything, or any place, or anybody, he chose me. You say, I don't think it means that. What else can it mean, folks? According as God hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You know what the word, and the word foundation is pretty important. You know what it means? It means a throwing down. It means a laying down. I did a study in that word. One of the commentaries I chose to use, of course, of course was Dr. Kenneth Weiss' word studies in the Greek New Testament. Listen to what he says. Throwing down, laying down, means it describes the act of the transcendent God throwing down a universe into space, speaking a material universe into existence which had no existence before. The writer to the Hebrews put it this way. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. I think it's verse 3 of chapter 1. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So what does that mean? This leaves no room for the theory of evolution which holds that the things that are seen today were made of pre-existing material. Do you believe that? There's no pre-existing material. God spoke into existence those things from nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he had nothing to start with. And you get all that in your mind, and this is not my main area. Brother Jeff, God bless you. 
you, you think through this stuff so much, you probably wish I'd preach on this every week. I mean, he, this is his life. This is his livelihood. This is, this is his background. This is his training. This is a special thing to him. And I don't understand a whole lot of it. But I do understand one thing. I don't understand most of what, most of what he knows. But I do understand this. God created the heaven and earth, the universe and mankind out of nothing. And I can understand, thanks for saying amen. And I can understand that because I understand the Bible. There are so many verses in the Bible that tell us that God is the creator. And that separates him, that's one thing, that separates him from all of the small G's, gods of the world. And by the way, you say, why are you, why are you on this? Because it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's when God chose me. That's an amazing thought. Let us not miss that. Go back to Ephesians 1. Are you still there? Look at the last part. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So why did God choose? Well, first of all, he chose that we might be saved that we might be justified, that we might be forgiven. And a lot of that is in the verses that follow when you start talking about predestination and you start talking about adoption and redemption and revelation and all the other exciting words there. It's, a, it's, about, it's for people who are, what does it say in the verse? According as he had chosen us in him. So don't forget the justification. Don't forget the salvation part here. But also, God shows us that we would be, as a saved person, we would be sanctified. Look at the verse again. As he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And by the way, there's two parts to sanctification. When God saves us, when he forgives our sins, he gives us eternal life. What does he do at that time? He imputes to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you know what that means? That the moment God saved me, he made me as, listen now, he made me as holy as his son. Amen? He made me as righteous as Jesus. That is an incredible thought. That God at salvation imputes to me the righteousness of Christ. He takes my sin, he puts it on Christ... And he puts the righteousness of God on me. What an amazing thing. And you know what we can call that, along with justification? We could call that positional sanctification. Because the word sanctification is hagios, holiness, holy. So I am as holy as Jesus the moment I'm saved. And that's one of the reasons God chose me. But that's not the only part of sanctification. There's more to sanctification than just positional sanctification. There's also what we want to call, I don't like this word, but practical sanctification. Sanctification in practice. Not sanctification in position in Christ, but sanctification in practice. I like another word better. Exper I didn't say experimental now, not experimental. Experiential. There's a difference between experiential and experimental, right? Are you with me? There's this thing called experiential sanctification. Get Jim Berg's series changing to his image. You'll, you'll understand us a whole lot better, okay? We are sanctified because we're in Christ, chosen of him. But we don't always live sanctified. But one reason that God chose us is that we might be blameless 
before him in love. That we might be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. And that is both things. That is positional sanctification and that is practical sanctification. And that's what we read back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Oh, by the way, go to Deuteronomy 26. In closing, please go to Deuteronomy 26. I've got to end this message somewhere. I'll just choose to end it here, okay? Deuteronomy 26. Before we read, please, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God chose to save you and make you holy in Jesus Christ, yes or no? Is that easy or is that hard? That is easy. Do you believe that God chose us to save us? We might be holy in Christ, yes. Do you believe that God also chose to save us, that we might live a holy life? You believe that? You have to believe that if you believe our text. According as God hath chosen us in him, we might be holy, blameless before. And listen, Deuteronomy 26, I think, illustrates this. We went to Deuteronomy 6 earlier, remember? 7 to talk about Israel being chosen. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 26. And look, if you will, please, at verses... Um, Cut this back some, if you will, please. Look at verses 18 and 19. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people. That word, by the way, avouched means to declare. He hath declared you. It's kind of the idea of chosen, declared. The Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people as he hath promised thee and that thou shouldest keep all of his commandments. In fact, let's go back and read 17. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God. You've chosen to, to, to declare your loyalty to. You've, cho you've chosen, you've, you've chosen the, the Lord this day. You've chosen for him to be your God and to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto... That's, that's obedience by choice. He said, you chose Jehovah God to obey him. And the Lord hath declared he's chosen, he's avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he promised thee that thou shouldest keep all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made, in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be an, out loud please, you get that? God chose us. He declared us to be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he has spoken. Say, so what's that all about? And I went back to verse 16, and this is what I saw. This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep them and do them, don't miss this, with all thine heart and with all thy soul. And could I ask you a question? Who do you know that ever does that? They are committed. They have chosen because God has chosen us. We are committed to obey everything that God says in this book.
with all, all, with all of our heart and all of our soul. More important than who do you know that does this is the question, do I do this? Do you do this? You cannot study election in the Bible and all of the verses and all of the glorious truth that you will see. You cannot rightfully study God selecting us in the Bible without saying God did that for some definite reasons. Not only did he do that to keep me out of hell, if that's included. Not only did he do that so one day I could be in heaven forever, if that's included. Not only did he do that, you can list all the wonderful things of being a Christian. But we miss the whole truth of biblical election. If we do not see that God has graciously, not our works, God has graciously chosen me. Why? So I would be holy before him. And by the way, that doesn't mean that God negatively looks at me while I'm on planet earth to make sure I do everything perfect. It's not that idea. The idea is that God has given to me the Holy Spirit. He's given to me the word. He's given to me all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies that I need to live before him holy and without blame. You know what that means? Without blemish, without spot, without impurity, unblameable, so that any accusation of wrongdoing should not stick. That's what God wants. And he doesn't look at us like, oh, did you mess up? I'm going to see if you mess up here. No, that's not it. It's the fact that God's desire and plan in choosing us, it would be holy in justification, holy in positional sanctification, and therefore holy in experiential living. Bow your heads, please. He doesn't watch us negatively. No, he doesn't do that. But it is sad, but it's true. The same Bible that teaches us also says, in the same book, Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 30, and grieve not, and this is for Christians, holy, chosen, select people, and grieve not the Spirit of God, for by you are sealed until the day of redemption. The fact that I can make God very sad. That's what grieve means, to make very sad, make very sorrowful. God must be grieved over a lot of his chosen people who are not living holy lives because that's his perfect plan. That's what he wants. That's his desire, his design. That is convicting and that is challenging while it is still encouraging. Father, thank you for your word today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According as you have chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and without blame in love. Thank you, Father, for these verses. There's no way we can comprehend them or understand them fully, but we thank you for the message here. I pray that we might, therefore, eulogize you in our hearts, in private, and before others publicly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you stand please together?